All right, we're in Psalm 22 this morning, Psalm 22. Such a blessing to always have one of our missionaries that we support come and visit with us. Such a blessing. Well, here this morning, this psalm expresses a season of fear for David. And as we've talked about, as we've been doing the psalms, if you're new or visiting, we're going to do the book of psalms, all 150 of them, verse by verse. And we have different seasons in our lives. And so the Psalms is just a wonderful place to park it and to think about those seasons. And one season that we're going to see this morning is David is in a season of fear. Now seasons could be a week, could be a month, could be decades. We don't know, but we do know, according to the scriptures, that as we seek the Lord, he will be with us through that season, he will see us through that season, and that season will come to an end. They always do. And so here, David shows and he expresses his fears, which is really important. You see, he was used by God to also prophesy of what was going to happen to the coming Messiah. It's hot in here? Stop breathing. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, I'm so glad this is the closest to hell I'm ever going to be. Praise God. All the airs are on. All the years around. With doors opening and closing, it just it's just the nature of the beast. Thank God you're not in Mississippi, right? Eighty percent humidity. Oh come on, let's all go to Mississippi. <laughs> now it'll it'll eventually cool down if you stop breathing and sit still. It'll cool down. <laughs> uh, and the more you fan, you're burning a lot of energy, let me tell you, man. You're, you're burning a lot of energy. But the fans are on and all the ears are on. So it's just one of those things. You might be having a hot flash, somebody just says. <laughs> Matt, are you having a hot flash, brother? <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> oh, God is good. So anyways, uh, <laughs> Psalm 22, the first part of Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21, they're actually going to speak of the praying and suffering of the Messiah. Now we know the Messiah to be Jesus, we know the scriptures, but you got to remember guys, David wrote this a thousand BC, before crucifixion was ever invented, a thousand years before Jesus was on the scenes. So David, though, is expressing something that's happening in his life. Even though there's prophecy in this psalm, we don't want to look at this and just go, well, it's all prophecy, and nullify or excuse the fact of what David is going through. David is going through something very personal, but he's also not keeping it private. Through the Holy Spirit, David is sharing with us a season of fear. It's real. So as we read these verses, your minds are going to immediately go to the New Testament and think of Jesus and forget about what David's going through. We don't want to do that. We want to look at both. Because as David goes through these seasons, you and I, we go through these seasons. And that's why we're reading the Bible. Not just so we can have another study, gain a little more knowledge of the Bible. No, we want to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts and our minds. And am I in this season? Am I in this season? Am I in a season of fear or a season of grief or a joyful season? Whatever it might be, we all have seasons. And so verses 1 through 21 are going to discuss that. The latter verses, 22 through 31, are going to speak of the triumph of the Messiah. And I I wonder, we don't know exactly when David wrote this, 
But I wonder if David didn't write this psalm after being chased by Saul almost 10 years or while he was being, while he was fleeing from Absalom. Again, we don't know, but as we go through this psalm, you're going to see it could be one of those two. My God, okay, Psalm 22. To the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit. Um, It's hot. A lot of things are happening in life. But Lord, we just want to focus. We want to give these next 40 minutes to you, Lord. We want to focus. So uh, help us to focus. We just thank you and praise you for your word. I pray for the gift of teaching. And that every heart on this campus, Lord, I pray for our young ones, Lord, this next generation. The enemy is trying to bring so much confusion into their lives. But we, as adults can bring them the truth. I thank you for the adults that are sharing with our little ones in the Sunday school and in junior high and high school. Lord, bless. Lord, we pray for their stinking little hearts. Open their minds, Lord, to your word. We were all teenagers. Most of us in this room were all rebellious. But you didn't give up, and here we are. And we know you're not going to give up on them. So, Lord, just bless the teachers. And stir our hearts, Lord, that we might be more like Jesus at the end of this day than we are right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know, David here expresses his deep concern that God has abandoned him. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think at one time or another in our Christian walk, we, we probably all sense this in one way or another. It might have been a fleeting thought, or it may have lasted for a season, a long season. You know, that God isn't listening to his prayers. And and we know that's not true about God, yet it's a real feeling for David. But at the end, by the end of the psalm, David is going to give us the answer to these opening statements. But now in looking towards the Messiah, we have a slide here, Mark 15, 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now, if you're not familiar with the daytime, the the schedule in in the Roman times, it was divided up into four. Quarters from 6 to 9 a.m., 9 to noon, noon to 3, 3 to 6 p.m. And so here it's the ninth hour, so we know this is 3 p.m. Another gospel tells us that Jesus was crucified, put on the cross, the third hour. So that would be 9 a.m. So Jesus at this point is hanging on the cross for six hours. We'll get into more detail on that in a few minutes. So for six hours... And Jesus says this, Eli, Eli, lamak shabachtani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What David expressed in his own life was also a prophecy. And here Jesus quotes it word perfect. You see, Jesus earlier on in his ministry had instructed his disciples that the father was with him, that he was not alone. Yet something took place at this moment in eternity. Now think big. Something took place at this moment in eternity that had never, ever happened before, nor will it ever happen again. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had never been separated ever before. But at this time, as you read the scriptures, because the sins of humanity, who's a human in here? Our sins, all sins, past, present, and future, were placed upon Jesus. And the scriptures teach us that God cannot look upon sin. So that whether it was a second, 30 seconds, three minutes, I don't know how long that was. But it is a reality. And Jesus literally was separated from the Father momentarily. Again, we don't know, so we're not even going to theorize. But we do need to understand that, that God sent His one and only Son to do something very special for you and for me. And it's easy to think of everybody else and forget, no, He did it for me. And we're going to see this again in the psalm as David continues to go through. Why? Well, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Because you might be sitting there, most of us are believers in this room, but you might be sitting there thinking, well, you know what, I'm not that bad a person. And maybe you don't have Jesus as your Savior. You need Jesus as your Savior. Because humanity express experiences on a daily basis an absence of God due to our sinful nature. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Not physically dead, but spiritually dead. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. We went to church on Sundays. We punched the clock every single Sundays. We weren't just Christmas and Easter. We actually went to church every single Sunday. And so in my mind, hey, I'm punching the clock. I must be okay. Even though I knew other times of the week I was living like the devil and doing things I shouldn't be doing, I must be okay because I'm punching the clock. No, I was spiritually dead. If I would have died, I would have gone to hell. Because I needed a savior. And the church was not my savior. Just like Calvary Chapel is not your savior. Your children going to Sunday school in Calvary Chapel, it's not Calvary Chapel. It's Jesus. And that's why we have teachers that teach them that they need Jesus. They just don't need to come to church and punch the clock. So we need a savior. Why? Because we're dead. We're spiritually dead in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So we we know this to be Lucifer, the devil, Satan, and his demonic forces that, that rebelled against God as well. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You could also say daughters as well. You see, I wasn't a child of God. There's a theology even going around in Christianity that we're all children of God. No, we are not all children of God. We are a child of the devil. That's just reality. The Bible just said it. We were all sons of disobedience. Once I invited Jesus into my life and he became my savior, now I am a child of God. Yes, everyone is made in God's image, but everyone is not a child of God. That's very important in this day we live in that we, that we set that straight because people can think, well, I punched the clock. I'm a child of God. No, you're a child of the devil and you're going to hell if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ. You, we don't want to love anybody to hell. 
That's not a good thing to do. It's hot right now. Hell's really hot. So we don't want to love them to hell. Among whom also we all, notice Paul, we all, Paul included himself. I was once as well a son of disobedience, even though I was a Pharisee, even though I knew the Bible, even though I was going to synagogue and doing all of those things, I was a son of disobedience. Among whom we also all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, here's the point, by nature children of wrath just as others. How about John chapter 3? John chapter 3. Now I believe in the age of accountability. I believe that God is a merciful God. I don't believe God sends babies to hell. As you read the Bible, you can come to your own conclusions, but God takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. He longs for all to be saved. The age of accountability is very important. When that little sinner knows they're a little sinner and they need a savior, that's the age of accountability. Could be six, eight, ten years old, but I truly believe in the age of accountability. John chapter three, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. Now what Jesus is saying, again, as you read the Scriptures, we're all going to have everlasting life. Some are going to have everlasting life with God. Others are going to have everlasting life apart from God. But we are all going to have everlasting life. So as we believe in the Son and allow Him to become our Savior, we're going to have everlasting life with God because the rest of the verse says, but the wrath of God abides on Him. The wrath of God does not abide on a believer, only an unbeliever. Because the unbeliever has sin and we need a Savior. It's very basic and it's very loving. Do you know every religion, Judaism, even to this day, do you know that Judaism requires a blood sacrifice? But they don't have a temple, so they can't offer blood sacrifices. But if you are part of the strict Judaism, you have to have a blood sacrifice. The scriptures demand it. Islam, a person that practices Islam, if you go into the Quran, they have to have a blood sacrifice. You can ask a person practicing Islam, who's your blood sacrifice? And they will know that you now know that they need a blood sacrifice. It's required. So for us as believers, it's like, thank you, God, for sending Jesus to be my blood sacrifice. He's perfect. He's spotless. He did what I could never do through punching the clock, through giving of money, through knocking on doors, through any of it. I could never do it. Only Jesus could do it. So that's why if you're, if you're here and you, you might not be understanding this, but you can understand at least that, you need a savior. That's why we are here. Not to have a Bible study, but to acknowledge that God is God and Jesus is our savior and to grow and to become more like Christ. Back in the Psalm. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Here David expresses a truth. I may be feeling this way. You've abandoned me. You're not hearing me. You're not answering my prayers. 
But David now goes back to the facts. And you're going to see this in the psalm. He's going back and forth. And one of the facts are, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. David is now able to look back. He knew the stories. He had been taught the Torah. He was able to look back and go, God, you took care of them. Which then he asked himself a simple question. Aren't you going to take care of me? Why wouldn't you take care of me? You took care of them. And guys, this is important for you and me as we go through this life. And as we all have seasons, seasons of doubt or seasons of fear or seasons of joy, whatever it might be, to be able to look back and say, God, you know, you delivered me then. Are you going to drop me now? You know, in our 36 years plus years of marriage, we can look back and go, God, you delivered us and you did this and you did this and you did this. Have you stopped? Have you stopped being God? Did, Did anything change in heaven? Not at all. Things can change in here, but things haven't changed from heaven's perspective. So we just got to stay focused on heaven. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Notice that. They were not ashamed. You see, because of our flesh, we might feel ashamed or embarrassed to proclaim our trust in God no matter what, but... The Israelites were not. Now, I, I you know, I, sometimes when you say something to family members, like, well, I'm just going to trust in the Lord. They just look at you like you're a knucklehead. What is, what is, what does that mean? Trust in the Lord. Does that mean you don't do anything? You just sit back in a lazy boy and don't do anything? That's not what that means. That's not what that means at all. No, we do our responsibility. We keep moving along. We keep doing what God calls us to do. But at the end of the day, we have a trust because God provided for me back then. God's going to provide for me now. Yeah, but how is he going to do that? I don't know. But if you're really interested, I'll come and let you know when it happens. <laughs> no, don't bother. Stupid. Ridiculous. Okay. Well, you know, it is what it is. You see, they had a Israel had a history with God and that history proved to them that God would always bring them through the various trials or tribulations that came upon them. Even those that were self-inflicted. You see, God is faithful even when we're not. Have any of you ever self-inflicted your... Feel free. Don't be afraid. It happens. We make poor choices. God still loves us. God's still there for us. God actually, and you may be here this morning, the scriptures say that he is willing to give you repentance right now. If you so choose to take it, God is offering repentance to you right now. Or you could stiff arm God. Say, no, no, I don't want it. Or no, I've, I've done too much. I'm not worthy. You can play that role. Or you can just be humble enough to say, I surrender. I surrender. I blew it. I surrender. Because we can look back and see God's faithfulness. You see, the relationship of the Father as well as every healthy relationship is based on trust. And what is David saying here in these verses? Trust, trust, trust. 
We can never trust our flesh, but we can always trust the Spirit. We can never trust our flesh. Well, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> if you haven't done it this past week and you didn't do it today, you're probably not going to do it tomorrow. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to surrender and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to give me strength to not do this anymore. That's different. Now you're not relying on the flesh. You're turning it over to God and you're inviting the Holy Spirit to transform your life. You will succeed. You got God. It's a guarantee. But you may have to surrender five minutes later. And then five minutes later. And then a half hour later. And then four hours later. And then a day later. And then a week later. And then all of a sudden after a year you go, wow, you know, I haven't... Wow, what happened? You can look back and go, oh, that's because I surrendered that back there. And now it's not a part of me anymore. Praise God. It's a process that we all need to go through. Verse 6 but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Sounds like some family members, right? Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You know, these are the words that were spoken by the religious elite while Jesus was on the cross. Let's look at Mark chapter 15, 29 through 32. Because again, they were mocking Jesus because of what he had said about God being his literal father. Not just spiritual father, but his literal father. Mark chapter 15, verse 29 and those who passed by blasphemed Jesus, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Now again, as we look at this, we want to remember. I, I've never seen any cross symbolized with this, and you probably never will because it would be destroyed. But when they crucified a criminal, they didn't put a loincloth over their private parts. They crucified him naked. They were to make a public, Rome wanted to make a public example of any criminal. You do not do this in our territory because this is what's going to happen to you. you. Naked you came into the world, naked you're leaving this world. And it's not that, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So, anyway, so, there they are mocking this naked man. Save yourself. And come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, saying, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Notice what they say next. Let the Christ. Now again, if you're, not, if you're new to the Bible, New Testament, Greek, Christ, Old Testament, Hebrew, Messiah, the exact same thing, the anointed one. So what they're saying is, let our Messiah, let our Messiah, the King of Israel, if He really is the Son of God, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Really. Just a little while ago, Jesus raised Lazarus 
who was in the grave for four days. He raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus is now walking among you. Matter of fact, you're not only plotting to kill Jesus, you're also plotting to kill Lazarus because Lazarus' testimony is bringing others to Jesus. It's all in the scriptures. So if I come off the cross, you'll believe. No, you won't. You didn't believe when I raised Lazarus. If I come down, you're going to believe? No. So guys, we can't make anybody believe. You can't argue somebody into Christianity. But you can live your Christian faith out. And you can answer their questions. And you can be that ambassador that plants, that waters, that fertilizes. But it's God who brings the increase. It's ultimately God that brings them into the kingdom. But we do have our responsibility. And so we should be doing that. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. So David here makes this analogy as we look back in Psalm 22 of appearing like a worm. And a worm is of little value. A creature of the dirt. And at this point, David's life, he felt that way and expresses what his enemies were saying about him. Now, in thinking about the Messiah, Isaiah, who lived hundreds of years after David and hundreds of years before Christ, said this in Isaiah fifty-two fourteen. But many were amazed when they saw him and Isaiah speaking of the Messiah, his face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. Now, jet ahead a few hundred years, and Jesus has been arrested, put a bag over his head or a blindfold over his head, and the guards of the Sanhedrin have been punching Jesus without Jesus seeing where the blows were coming from. So his head was receiving the full force of the punch. Head trauma to the max. Then he goes to the Roman guards. They put a crown of throne on his head, bash it into his head with a reed, blood trickling down, more head trauma, all within a very few short hours. And then the last time Jesus stands before Pilate, Pilate calls him out after being interrogated and run all over Jerusalem back and forth, being scourged, barely being able to walk at this point. And what does Pilate say? I'm sure everyone gasped when Jesus came out to the crowd. It's not like on a cross, you know, he had a little blood here and a couple marks there. and yeah, He doesn't look so bad. What did Pilate have to say? Behold the man. This is your Messiah. He was most likely, unre- I don't know if you guys have been to an ER before, where somebody's been through a head trauma. I've been there with tubes sticking in them. When you walk in, you go, no, that's, that's not, no, it's not. Yes, it is. It, they're, they're almost unrecognizable because of the trauma. Jesus, this is what Isaiah is saying about Jesus. And that's what Pilate had to say. Behold the man. This is, this is your Messiah that you beat and that we beat and that we're going to kill because you asked us to do it. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Verses 9 through 11 in Psalm 22. But you are he who took me out of the womb. So David starts to recall God's handiwork as, we, as we'll get to in Psalm 139. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. You know, that that uniqueness, that natural bond that comes between a mother and a child through the nursing process. 
I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. David realizes, now again, think about it. Maybe he's running from Saul. Maybe this is when he wrote it or afterwards or, or maybe from his son, Absalom. And Saul was not a nice king. He had hundreds of people, actually thousands at one point, chasing after David. Absalom got all of Israel, or those who didn't like David, to come with him to chase down the king. I mean, this isn't like a you know two-on-one or three-on-one. David is way outnumbered in this situation. And he's crying out to God, and he's getting the sense of like, God, you're not listening. I need some help here. Nobody else can help me. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Now as we go to Israel, we go into northern Israel, and that's where Bashan is at, and it's called the Golan Heights, which a majority of the world today wants to have Israel give back the Golan Heights, which they will never give back. It would be crazy if they ever did. They need that militarily, or they will be wiped out. But the Golan Heights is beautiful. When you go up there, the lush lush green grass areas and you'll see cows all over the place and in my mind i'm thinking of david's thinking back to this area and i was born and raised on a farm you don't ever get into a pen with a bull you don't want to be in the area of a bull because you will be a target really really fast so i'm just getting this mental picture of david here just just expressing his heart and these many bulls have surrounded me they want to kill me they want to take my life from me god the strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape in me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. And yes, there were lions in, in Israel as well. And so David is just painting this beautiful picture of, of lions that are just, just going around their prey, just waiting for the moment when we're going to pounce and rip this thing apart. It's ours. When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? I am poured out like water. Now again, David is expressing himself, but now he's also going to start prophesying about crucifixion. Which again, at this point in time, David didn't know anything about this. This wasn't invented at this time. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They took and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You see, crucifixion was actually developed by the Persians, passed on to the Phoenicians, and used extensively by the Romans. But initially the Persians would impale a person on a pole. That was their form of crucifixion. Popsicle stick. Impale a person on a pole. Just the way it was. But the Romans wanted to make a person suffer longer, so they perfected crucifixion by using a cross beam. And that's why we have the cross. And so what they would do is they would lay you on the cross, they would take your arms, and they would stretch out your arms. Now again, most, most crosses or crucifix have the nail going through the palm. They didn't put it through the palm because it would rip, your, your hand would rip out. They put it through the wrist. And in the wrist, there's called a medium nerve. 
and they would not cut that nerve, but they would actually land close to that nerve so that every time you moved, you would feel an excruciating shock through your whole body. And so they would lay you on the cross, they would stretch out your arms, and they put one nail in each arm, and then they'd attach your feet to a little shelf with one nail through the ankles. So now you're standing up, totally naked, stretched out. They refined it. They, they did such a good job with this. See, if you were physically able, you could survive a couple days if you were physically capable of doing that. Jesus has been on the cross for six hours. Go home and try to do that for six minutes. Just stand there with your arms up. Just for six minutes. Doesn't seem like a long time, right? Try it. See how long you last. You're not going to be able to do it. Six hours. And what would happen is because you couldn't move, your feet, and they, they had it just right, the Romans were so good, where you would be able to stand yourself up to take a breath, but then your legs would be get cramps. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that. Your legs would cramp. So you would have to relax, which then when you relaxed, your rib cage would push up into your lungs, which would push all the oxygen out of your lungs. But you can only hang there for so long. And while you're hanging there, like David says, your joints would start to pop out of joint. You grew a few inches on the cross. And then you'd push yourself up. And as you pushed yourself up, you're rubbing your raw back on a piece of wood. You see, this is what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me. So if you're here and you don't think God loves you, you don't know who God is. God loves you. He sent his one and only son to die for you. What are you doing with Jesus? Don't blame God. Suck it up and take responsibility and accept Jesus as your Savior. Because you ain't getting to heaven on your own. So Jesus, for six hours, naked on a cross, is going up and down, up and down, up and down, gasping for his life. Alongside, in the middle of two other criminals that deserve to die. But one acknowledged Jesus as a Savior and was with Jesus that very day in paradise. Praise God. So David here is just expressing his own inward thoughts, and you can see how expressive he is, but he's also prophesying, again, hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever developed, which again causes us to make this point. God being outside our time realm can tell us these things. God's outside our time realm. It's no big deal for God. For you and me, we would not even come close. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Notice exclamation point. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild ox. I mean, he's just bringing all of this in from his shepherding, from his life in the world. He's just using all of these various analogies, bringing it all to the surface And then what does he say? You have answered me. Hear all my feelings. Hear all my feelings. I feel like you abandoned me, like you're not hearing me, like you don't care. But I know the facts. And the facts are, you have answered me. Which then takes us to what? 
I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And that's one reason, another reason, but that's one reason why we gather on Sundays and on men's nights and on Wednesday nights and at marriage enrichment and at young adults. And whatever we offer, it's not for social, just social. Well, we've got nothing better to do. Let's, ha- let's get together. No, it's actually so that we can encourage one another and strengthen each other. And it's amazing, if you look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, this is my notes, so you can just jot that down. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. You go through things so that you can bless somebody else down the road. And that might be a week, a month, it might be 10 years. But you might be in a Bible study or you might be at a gathering and somebody says something, it slips out that they're, they're having an issue No Christians have any issues, but they're having an issue. And all of a sudden, you're there. Or you could just be sitting at home and you're lazy boy. But you're there. And the Holy Spirit says, did you hear that? I did. I went through that last year. And then you're able to go over that person and love on that person and give them maybe a verse or two. And all of a sudden, that person, their their focus is elevated and they're, they're like, I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one that ever went through this. Has anybody in this room ever felt like you're the only one going through something? Has anybody ever felt that? The rest of you are liars. (laughs) We all have that feeling. It's not true, but we all have that feeling. I'm the only one. Come on. I will declare you to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. So, I mean, notice the switch, the, just a light switch. David is just getting focused back on the truth and on God. But notice that there's a commitment here. You who reverence the Lord. If you fear the Lord, a healthy fear. That's what this word is. It's, it's a healthy fear. God, I, I reverence you. I, I don't feel like you're listening to me. But I reverence you. I'm going to trust in you. Because it's not about feelings. It's about facts. I will decla- uh, You who reverence the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him. And reverence Him. All you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. It hasn't gone unnoticed. God knows. Nor has He hidden His face from Him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Again, notice the transition, the transformation. Where are you? God, I don't feel like you hear me. God hears me. From fact to feeling, from feeling to facts. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. So here it's just in the midst of the assembly. Now David says the great assembly. So maybe it's a home fellowship. You're able to minister to somebody in the home fellowship and then maybe it's at church. You're able to minister to somebody at the great assembly. In other words, it's being a part of the kingdom of God. I will pay my vows before those who reverence him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Now these next verses, these I believe these next five verses speak of the millennial reign of Christ. Those thousand years after the great tribulation. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn, turn, turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's 
and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. Notice that. Guys, passing down our Christian faith to the next generation, and even to that next generation that's not even born yet. So to our children, who will pass it on to their children, so in other words, the grandchildren that aren't even born yet, they're going to hear the good news that he has done this. Just like to wrap it up with this one verse. 2 Timothy 1.7. Most of you probably have this memorized, but if not, I encourage you to write it down. Don't zip up your Bibles, but write down the verse and make sure that you memorize it, meditate on it. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. In other words, we are going to have fear, but it's not that God is punishing us or causing us to have it. It's just our flesh. It's just a natural thing that we have in this life. And, and it can be very healthy. I didn't used to be afraid of heights. Now I'm terrified of heights. I didn't have a lot of brains as a young person. Now I have some more brains. There is such a thing as a healthy fear. And there's also an unhealthy fear. God will never give us that spirit of fear. It'll always be a healthy spirit. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is so important as we leave that slide up there. Whatever season you find yourself in, whatever season it might be, you want to memorize this verse. Because God will meet you. And God will bring you through that season. And you're not the first one to go through that season. And you're not the only one going through that season. So don't isolate yourself. But open yourself up to others. And gather around others. And allow yourself to be loved on and encouraged and strengthened. And you will see how God meets you. And how God can use other people to bless you. There's nothing wrong with that. But I know where most of us are independent. We don't want anybody else to bless us. We can do fine on our own. Sometimes we just need help, right? Sometimes we just got to be humble enough to ask for help. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we do thank you that this is the closest to hell we're ever going to be. But maybe, Lord, there's someone in our midst who doesn't know this. We're glad they're here. And we know you love them. Your word says so. But we also know you've given them free will. And so, Lord, right now as saints, we intercede on their behalf. We stand in that spiritual gap of heaven and hell. And, Father, we pray that you would open their spiritual eyes for their need for a Savior. That we are all marching towards everlasting life. But will it be with you? For most of us, it will. Or will it be away from you? Because we chose not to submit. 
know, if you would like to receive Jesus as saints around you are praying for you, they love you, they're concerned about your eternal life. If you would like to receive Jesus, I'm not asking you to join Calvary Chapel. I just happen to be here to say to you, God loves you and he desires you to be his son or his daughter. But it's your own free will. If you would like to receive Jesus right now, then just pray this simple prayer with me. And God will receive you. Just pray this prayer. God, I need a Savior. I can't do it myself. And so I finally surrender. I surrender my pride. I surrender my arrogance. And I humbly say, thank you for sending Jesus. God, I repent. I turn to you. And I invite Jesus into my life right now. I invite your Holy Spirit right now to come into my life. I don't know what that all means. But I think I can trust you to tell me, to show me. So I say thank you. Thank you for receiving me right now just the way I am and that I am now your son I am now your daughter thank you that I can now call you my father my father thank you father for saving me in Jesus name amen Father, we do thank you and praise you. Help us, Lord, as we go out as ambassadors, your ambassadors. Help us to be ready for those divine appointments that you've already ordained for us to walk in that will be available this week to whomever you put in front of us that will look past the individual and see the heart, their need for a Savior, their need to be encouraged, their need to be rebuked, whatever the case may be that will do it all in love, that you would receive the praise and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great day. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you receive Jesus as your Savior, come up. We'd love to pray for you. And when you go out the doors, try to go out really fast, and that way that cold air doesn't get out. Did did it get cooler in here? Yeah, it did. See, some of you stopped breathing. Wake the person up next to you. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation. And conquered the grave Jesus conquered the grave Savior
Come 